1: Hello, welcome along. It's time to zoom around the universe in a brand new episode of the Fun Kids Science Weekly. My name is Dan. Thank you for being there. Thank you for joining me as we take a trip around the galaxy. We search out all the science secrets lurking in the solar system. And we're staying a bit closer to home this week, looking inside you, inside your brain. We'll chat to the superstar telly expert, Dr. Ranj, all about his brand new book, Brain Power. One of the organs
2: that has fascinated humans for centuries, right from sort of ancient Egyptian times when they didn't think that the brain was very important. So they used to think that all your thoughts and your your mind came from your heart. So they used to preserve the heart and suck the brain out through the back of your skull when you died and throw it away. (laughs) So they didn't really think it was that important. Right through to now, when we know.
1: Also, for one more time, we'll dive into the age of the dinosaurs. This week, learning about one of the most fearsome beasts of them all. He's coming this way. Quick, run! You'd definitely want to run from a T-Rex.
3: His name means King of the Tyrant Reptiles. And he was a terrifying meat-eating dinosaur found In the continent that is now North America.
1: And I've got your questions as always. This time out, they are on Cats and Colours. There's loads on the way. Stick around. It's a brand new episode of the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's get this week's Science in the News... The UK is sending a robot boat to study the underwater volcano in Tonga that erupted back in January. You might remember this, the the volcano in the Pacific Ocean caused one of the fiercest volcanic explosions for more than 100 years down there as hot magma met cold sea water that made it send loads of ash into the air, also made a tsunami which swept through the ocean. Now this boat Maxima will spend weeks looking at the volcano and making a map of what it looks like now and what has changed in the ocean around it. Also, scientists have spotted the furthest star that we've ever seen. The Hubble telescope spotted its light, which has taken 12.9 billion years to reach us. They've called it Earendel, and we were able to see it because the light was magnified through galaxies in its path. And also this week, the Sir David Attenborough polar ship is smashing through ice. You might remember a few years ago; it's the one that the UK public voted to be called But Boatface, We thought it was a laugh. They did not think it was that. Instead, they called it the RRS Sir David Attenborough. It costs two hundred million pounds. It's on its first outing to the South Pole, and it's been crushing thick ice to see what's happening around Antarctica. Right, let's check in with Professor Hallux then. He's one of our favourite geniuses on the show. We try and catch up with him every week and he's here with Nurse Nanobot uh, looking at the map of medicine. Looking at what makes you ill and then who makes you better. Now, in this episode, Hallux is suffering from a stomach ache and we're trying to figure out why we get an upset stomach sometimes.
3: Professor Hallux's Map of Medicine...
4: Okay in there, Professor? Just a spot of tummy trouble.
5: I'll be out in a minute. Better make that ten minutes. <laughs> oh dear.
4: I told him not to eat those soggy old sausages left over from Saturday. They should have gone in the bin. I said they should have gone in the bin! I think I need to put myself in the bin. Oh, I
5: really don't feel well. Can you give us some facts on tummy trouble, nurse, while you're waiting for me? Might be in here a while.
4: Poor Professor. Of course I can. (whistles) (whistles) Ah, clinical crunch. (whistles) Whoops. Tummy trouble is ever so common. You've probably had a stomach upset before. It might have given you runny poo, made you feel weak and shaky, and perhaps even made you vomit. Stomach upsets are normally caused by bacteria or viruses. It could be that they were lurking in the food that was beginning to go off, or it could be that you caught the germs from school or from the toilets. That's why grown-ups go on about washing your hands. It's a brilliant way to bust the bugs. Germs are all about us and our bodies are great at beating the bad ones But sometimes you can pick up some particularly pesky bug That multiplies more rapidly than your body can fight them off A common one is called virus Although there are all sorts
5: Well, I've washed my hands But I'm still not feeling great If it was that silly sausage I'll feel better in a day or two But some people are unlucky enough to get problems with their stomach and gut that don't clear up easily. That's
4: when they need expert help. They certainly do. Imagine having diarrhoea and vomiting all the time. That would be very uncomfortable. Got any experts hiding in that map of medicine, Prof?
5: Funnily enough, Nurse, I believe we do. It's a of info about medical people and places. Let's load it up before I need the toilet again. Let's find out about the gastroenterologist.
4: Opening the map of medicine.
5: So, you've been pooing and vomiting for days or maybe even weeks, and your doctor's not sure what's causing the trouble. Time to see a gastroenterologist. It's a heck of a word, isn't it? Gastroenterologist. But it just means a doctor who is an expert at the digestive system from the hole the food goes down in to the hole the food comes out. Yes, that one. Phew, what have you been eating? Smelly old socks? And don't forget about all the twiddly-fiddly bits in the middle like your stomach, your intestines and even your liver. Now normally, it's rude to talk about poo and farts and burps, but the cool thing about gastroenterologists is that they're really, really interested in all those things. They want to get to the bottom of it. Did you see what I did there? They may take samples from your poo to check for bacteria and may even do an endoscopy or colonoscopy. Hey! Hey! down it's not that big a deal all types of scientists love having a good look at things to see what's what now that's easy if you've got a spot on your nose but when it's the squishy bits inside you it's a little bit harder an endoscope is a camera on a wiggly cable that is carefully pushed down your food pipe into your tummy whilst the colonoscope is pushed up your bum and into your intestines. They don't do both at once because they might crash in the middle. And they definitely use different cameras for each test and wash them very thoroughly between patients. Now, this probably sounds a bit yuck and tickly, but the doc can give you some very special medicine that relaxes you or might even put you under an anaesthetic, which means you'll sleep through the whole thing. And the best bit is that it gives them a brilliant look around so they can see what the problem might be. (coughs) Yes, fairly unlikely to be an elephant up there. Wow, that would cause you some problems going for a poo, wouldn't it? There are lots of reasons why people have chronic digestive problems. But there are loads of treatments to make things better. From medicine to surgery. (coughs) And if it is an elephant, they just tempt him out with a bun. Don't
4: be silly, Professor. I've got a great faecal fact for you. Do you want to hear it? Okay. I think I've just got
5: time. Disgusting detail.
4: Now this might sound disgusting, but it's actually some of the cleverest science going. It's called faecal bacteriotherapy, or poo transplants. In the same way that healthy organs like hearts and lungs can be transplanted from one person to another, would you believe that poo from healthy people can actually help to cure some digestive illness? The poo is checked to ensure the right mix of bacteria is present, and then this is implanted into the gut of someone who's had serious gastric problems. The good bacteria rapidly multiply to give the poorly person a whole new army inside.
5: Uh oh, I think that sausage is doing a somersault. I better make a leap for the loo. Hope you can join us in the Map of Medicine next time. Professor Hullock's Map of Medicine is produced by Fun Kids with support from the Wellcome Trust.
1: Let's get to your questions then. If you've got something science-y that you need answering, you need it sorted out because you can't sleep at night, leave it as a review for this podcast, for the Fun Kid Science Weekly on Apple Podcasts. That will really help me see it. First up this week, it's Ella, who's in Ireland. Ella, I know that you love the show. You get in touch quite a lot. Thank you so much for leaving your questions. Uh, Ella listens to the podcast with her cat, Tiddles. Brilliant cat name, by the way. Mine's called Tiggy, quite similar. And Ella wonders why Tiddle's eyes are mostly black instead of white. Now, the middle slits of a cat's eyes, the pupils, change enormously from long and thin to big and round. This is because they're hunters and because they need to take in more light to see what's happening. So they get bigger to suck that light in. It almost turns into night vision goggles because in the wild, cats can sometimes hunt at night. So they need all the light they can to see so they can get some food. Now get this, humans' pupils, they expand when they let in light at about 15 times their normal size. Cats expand 135 times their normal size. Also, some cats have a condition which makes the edge of their eyes darker than others, which are white. It can change from cat to cat, but it's nothing to worry about, so thank you for the question, Ella. Also this week, it's from Harry in Tenerife, who wants to know, are colours real or are our eyes playing tricks on us? Well, it's a bit of both, really, Harry. Everything we see is because of light. In a beam of light from the sun, you have all the colours possible. All the colours of the spectrum are in that beam of light. Now, what happens is an object will either absorb or reflect that light. So, if you're wearing a blue shirt, for instance, the chemicals in that shirt suck in all the other colours, they absorb those, but reflect the blue wavelength in the light. Uh, It's the same if you're wearing uh, red shoes, Uh, it will suck in all the other colours and then reflect that red back. So, it is real, but it's also a trick of science, it's a trick of the light. Really fascinating stuff, Colors. Thank you so much, Harry, for the question. If there's something you'd like answered on the show next week, leave it as a review for us over on Apple Podcasts.
0: Happy reading.
1: Now, our special guest this week is the superstar TV genius, uh, Dr. Ranj. He's got a brand new book out. It's all about your brain. It's called Brain Power, because brains look a little bit boring, don't they? They're a bit slimy, a little bit grey. But your brain is more powerful than any superpower and there's loads of secrets about it in this brand new book. Now I caught up with Dr Range the other day and he told me how much we know about what the brain is actually capable of.
2: Well different people say different things and when I was writing Brain Power I had to sort of go back and research how we know what we know and where, you know whether there is still stuff that we don't. Um, and it's true we know a heck of a lot about the brain. We know quite a bit about how it works, how it's put together, how it does what it does. But there's still so much that we don't know yet. Uh, could I could I quantify it? I'm not sure we can, because I think we're going to be learning stuff all the time. Um, but it is fascinating. It's one of the organs that has fascinated humans for centuries, right from sort of ancient Egyptian times when they didn't think that the brain was very important. So they used to think that all your thoughts and your your mind came from your heart. So they used to preserve the heart and suck the brain out through the back of your skull when you died and throw it away. (laughs) So they didn't really think it was that important. Right through to now when we know brains are immensely important. And actually, even though a lot of our brains and nervous systems look similar and function in similar ways, there are you know, lots of us. What makes us unique is our experiences, um, what we've been through, our memories, and also the way our brains work to some extent, because there are people out there whose brains work quite differently. For instance, autistic people or people who have dyslexia or ADHD, their brains work in a slightly different way, but they're still just as amazing as anybody else. And they have strengths and qualities that they can build on and and make them amazing.
1: Now I'm quite a creative thinker and some of my best mates are more logical thinkers. I'm good with words. They're good with numbers. Why can some people's brains work in such completely different ways when really they're the same organ?
2: Yeah. So it's all down to how your brain is wired. So they all look the same. They all contain the same sorts of cells and the same sorts of structures and they generally work in a similar way, but it's your experiences that mold you. And um, to some extent, it's your genetics, what you're born with. To some extent, it's how uh, how you grow up and what you experience and learn when you're growing up. Um, and you're right. Some people are naturally, I suppose, geared towards a certain kind of learning or certain kind of thinking. We talk in the book about different kinds of intelligence as it were so intelligence isn't just about book work it isn't just about recalling facts and figures and being good at maths and stuff like that there's loads of different kinds of intelligence and that shows us that brains work in different ways and we are good naturally good at different things so there are some people who are musically intelligent so their brains are naturally wired to be better at musical things there are people who are movement intelligent so their dancers. And choreographers, there's people uh, who are naturally gifted in terms of dealing with others, interpersonal intelligence. There's all sorts of, there's logistical, mathematical intelligence, the one you're talking about. Um, there's all sorts of different kinds of intelligence, and one person can have more than one, but it's about finding what your type of intelligence is. It's about finding how your brain works and using that to your advantage.
1: What do you mean wired differently? Is it just really the cells in our brain, the way that they connect to do different things?
2: Yeah. So um, information in our brains is carried in by cells, but in the form of electricity. Don't go plugging yourself into the, the wall socket. That's not a good idea. It's a different kind of electricity carried in a different way. Um, But these cells all make connections, and that's how they work. That's how our brains work. They form connections with each other. um, And those connections are adaptable. They change. They can change over time. So as you grow, your brain is growing and making connections all the time, depending on what you're experiencing and what you're learning and what you're going through. Um, But to some extent, those connections can change over time as well. That's what we call plasticity. Um, and that's what the that's what i mean by wiring it's different kinds of connections made in different kinds of ways
1: what about the not the negatives of the way we think but but when it doesn't feel so good so maybe you've had a bit of bad news or you've had a bad day or you know you've got heartache or something like that or you're really nervous and anxious and you feel that all over your body. Like you get butterflies in your stomach when you're worried and that's going on from what's happening in your brain. How is everything connected like that? Yeah.
2: Um, so your brain and your body are intertwined in loads. Your nervous system isn't just your brain. It runs throughout your body, it runs down your spinal cord through your peripheral nerves out to right down to your fingertips and the tips of your toes, your brain and your body are intricately linked. And whilst your nervous system senses what's going on around you so it's taking in information from your body so what you touch what you smell what you hear what you feel it also that 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 sort of that messaging is reciprocal it goes in the other direction as well so sometimes you can make yourself feel something because you're experiencing a particular emotion so butterflies for instance and when you're nervous you might feel sick you know it's because your brain and your body are intricately linked Uh, When you're anxious, your heart beats faster and some people, you know, rapid breathing and stuff like that. We talk about anxiety in the book and how anxiety, for instance, is felt not just in your head. It's not just felt as a psychological thing. It's also felt in your body sometimes as well. It's a physical manifestation. And that's all to do with how intricately your brain and your body are linked. You can't separate the two of them. You can't separate your thoughts and your feelings from sometimes what is going on in your body.
1: Now, if I want my muscles to get stronger or if I want to get fitter, I'll go out for a run. Maybe I'll do some strong lifting with weights, things like that. That's exercise for the body. What exercise can we do for the mind? so maybe those butterflies the anxiety it becomes easier to deal with we're, we're better at being ready for them
2: absolutely it's practice 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 that's what it is so when you're trying to build on anything it's Like like we all know, when you want to get good at something, you do it over and over again and you strengthen those connections that your brain cells are making so they get better and faster and quicker at it. Exercising your body is hugely important because it makes you fitter, makes you healthier, makes you feel better, but it also is good for your brain and your mind as well. But there are... Specific exercises for your brain that you should do. So try and keep your brain as active as possible. So do lots of different kinds of activities. It's not just about reading and book work, but it's doing maths puzzles, doing jigsaw puzzles, doing crosswords, doing creative things, being artistic. Is really, really good for your brain. Being sociable, a lot of people don't realize it's being nice, being kind, being sociable. doesn't just make you feel good about yourself, but it's actually really good for your mental well-being. Giving yourself a break sometimes. So doing things like relaxation exercises or mindfulness that a lot of people will be aware of and may, may even have done at school. You know, giving your brain a break is really, really important as well. And one big thing that a lot of people forget about that is hugely important, we spend a third of our lives doing it, is sleep. Sleep is vitally important, not just for your body, but for your brain. It is when our brains recover. It is when our brains replenish and get ready for the next day. And it's when our brains sort information out and tidy themselves up.
1: I'm in love with those stories and those sci-fi movies where someone finds out that they were only using 10% of their brain power and then they get the full 100 and they can control everything yeah. and they can fly. Yeah. Is, there, is there any truth to that or are we pretty much using the full lot?
2: Uh, yeah, there's not really much drift. <laughs> so the, 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 the whole concept of we only use 10% of our brain comes from that there's a lot of redundancy in our brains. It's not that at any one time, we are using a lot of our brain, if not most of our brain, but we've got lots of backup there just in case. So if something goes wrong, if we injure a part of our brain, for instance, or hurt a part of it, then another part can take over. And that's what it's all about. It's not that We aren't using abilities we don't know we have. It's just that we have a lot of spare parts there just in case anything goes wrong. And if you do scans like functional MRI scans, they're called, you can look and see which parts of the brain are active at any particular time, whether you're doing something like a particular activity. And you can see that actually we use a lot of our brains most of
1: the time amazing well the answers to loads more questions just like those uh loads of mind-bending facts in the brand new book brain power dr ranch thank you so much for joining us thank you it's time for dangerous Dam where we look at some of the most mean devastating and cruel things in the universe and this week it's all about a, a normal looking chemical that can get quite dangerous Nitrogen triodide is a compound. Now, everything in the world is made of atoms. They are the building blocks of everything that you see. Now, when two different types of atoms join together, they make molecules and then compounds. Now, this compound is Ni3. That's one nitrogen atom and then three iodine atoms. Now, when it's made, it becomes a dry, ashy, dark chemical. And it becomes what scientists call a contact explosive. Can you guess what it does? Yeah, it explodes when it makes contact with things. It's quite simple, really. This is very reactive. Even a little flick from a feather can make it go off. Because when it becomes dry, the different elements split. And it does this with a lot of energy. And when energy needs to be released, it goes bang. It needs something so small to make it split. And then that energy explodes everywhere. Now, this can be done in tiny, tiny amounts, which is why in many movies or TV shows, when you see a small explosion, it might be nitrogen triiodide that sets it off, and that means it goes onto our Dangerous Dan list. Now, for the last time in a little while, it's time to travel back to the Age of the Dinosaurs. This is one of our other mini-podcast episodes that you can catch up with over on the free Fun Kids app. Uh, We're looking at the Cretaceous period, and around this time, there were more dinosaurs than ever before. It's also the part of history where you would find one of the most fearsome beasts of them all, the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Imagine going back in time,
3: not 100 years or 1,000 years, but millions of years. to the age of the dinosaur. Welcome to the end of the Cretaceous period, around 65 million years ago. Around this time, there were more dinosaurs than ever before. The world was crowded with groups of triceratops, duck-billed edmontosaurus, squawking birds and a wide variety of plant and sea life. The end of the Cretaceous period is also where you'd find one of the best-known dinosaurs of them all, Tyrannosaurus rex.
1: He's coming this way. Quick,
3: run! You'd definitely want to run from a T-Rex. His name means King of the Tyrant Reptiles. And he was a terrifying meat-eating dinosaur found in the continent that is now North America. This carnivore was massive at over 12 metres long and six to seven tonnes in weight. He gouged at prey with his enormous jaws and his curved teeth made it hard to escape. Despite standing as tall as an elephant, T-Rex's brain wasn't much bigger than a loaf of bread. However, a cast from a fossilised T-Rex skull shows the parts in charge of his sense of smell were bigger than in other reptiles.
1: Ugh, what's that horrible smell?
3: That's the smell of rotting meat. A T-Rex could sniff out a carcass from over a kilometre away. It might not have been as tasty as fresh meat, but it was an easy meal.
1: Quick, another T-Rex is coming!
3: That's not a T-Rex, but it's still good to hide. That's a Tabasaurus batar, or T-batar. Tavosaurus came from Asia, not North America, but had a lot in common with T-Rex. They looked similar and were both top predators. Scientists think they're closely related even though they lived on the other sides of the world. Some have even suggested that they might be the same species. But there were differences. Lab tests show that Tabasaurus had a less flexible jaw, so he might have preferred carcasses to hunting wriggling prey. And whilst T-Rex had eyes that faced forward, Tabasaurus had more sideways-facing eyes.
1: Oh no, I think he's looking at me.
3: I think he's more interested in that herd of hadrosaurs over there. When hunting, he'd prefer to pick off the old, young or sick members of a herd but let's not hang about.
5: Paleontology, pick.
3: The age of the dinosaurs came to an end 65 million years ago. It is thought that a giant asteroid six miles across smashed into the Earth, where the town of Chicxulub in Mexico now sits, triggering tsunamis and dust clouds that blotted out the sun. plants could not grow. Animals were cold and hungry and began to die. From the seas to the skies, many creatures and plants disappeared forever. In fact, seven out of every ten species perished. The age of the dinosaurs had gone, and with it, 200 million years of the most amazing creatures the world has ever seen thanks to paleontologists we know much about what it was like but there are many mysteries that remain maybe one day you will make a new discovery yourself
1: That's it for this week's fun kids science weekly thank you so much for having a listen if there's a question that you'd love answered leave it as a review for me and for the show on Apple Podcasts. It's dead easy. Find Fun Kids Science Weekly there. There's a little comment box at the bottom. That's where you leave your question. Give us five stars so I can see it. Drop your name there too so I can say hello. While you're there, you've got loads more of our brilliant podcast series. You've heard some today. Hallux, Age of the Dinosaurs. We've got loads more. You can also get them Google, Spotify, on the free Fun Kids app and at funkidslive.com. And Fun Kids, we are a children's radio station from the UK. You can listen to us all over the country on your DAB digital radio and at funkidslive.com.